My name is Al Westerman. I'm the pastor here. And thank you so much. Thank you for coming here today. Thank you for joining us online. It's a better experience because you're here with us today. From my vantage point, Auburn Bible Chapel sits at a really special and unique place. I mean that physically, I think where we are in Peterborough is absolutely fantastic. I love the neighborhoods that we're in. I love that the trail's right by us. I also mean just the season that we're in. We seem to be growing as a church, which is really fantastic. We got ministry starting up again in the fall. It's a really good time to be here at Auburn Bible Chapel. And I think it's a really good time just in general. I think this actually might be the best time in all of history to be a Christian. And I believe that because people are starving for community. They are searching for truth. And they are desperate. People are desperate for hope. It is a good time to be a Christian. Father God, we, we thank you for the season that you've placed us in as a church, as individuals, as sons and daughters of the King of Kings. God, my prayer is today that we can realize what you have for us. We can realize that you've given us a lot that you have put within us what we need to do the things that you've given us. God, I pray that we can all walk out of this room later today feeling encouraged and equipped. God, would you use my words all for your glory? I pray this in your name. Amen. We are in a two-week mini-series on the vision and mission of Auburn Bible Chapel. And last week, we talked about mission. Our mission is to invite people to know God personally, very good, and to participate in his plan to rescue the world from sin through his son, Jesus. We had four points on this, and this is, this is all in our mission statement. It says, discipleship begins with a personal relationship with God. That's the beginning of discipleship, is that we need to know him personally. And the way that we participate in God's plan to rescue the world from sin is by inviting other people. And we use the parable of the sower to illustrate that. We talked about how Jesus saves the world from sin. And we talked a little bit about sin and how sin is usually defined as missing the mark. That's what sin is. They say it's missing the mark. But I wanted to redefine it in a way as to not hitting the mark. I was talking to Amanda Volk after the sermon, and she's an archer. And she said, well, that's the whole point. That's the whole point of archery is that you want to hit the mark. You don't let fear of missing the mark stop you from actually trying to hit the mark because that's, that's why we do this. And the fourth point was that it's always, only, all for Jesus. Now, how beautiful is it that the last song that we just sang really hit on that point, eh? 
Always only all for you. Always only all for my king. Isn't that beautiful? Today, we're going to be looking at the vision. So the vision is for our whole congregation to work together to see those outside the church come or return to faith. We're going to look at the parable of the talents, and we're going to look at the body of Christ. Now, the parable of the talents is found in Matthew 25, and if you're using a pew Bible, that would be page 806. I see this as three logical steps. What we're talking about today, we're talking about three logical steps. The first one is a decision to use what you got. It's a decision to use what God has given you. We're using the parable of the talents to illustrate this. The second one is that we need to decide to join the team. The third step is the how-to. That's our ministry roadmap that we're going to conclude with. So we're in the parable of the talents, page 806, if you're using a pew Bible, but it's Matthew 25. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought out the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvested where I had not sown and gathered where I had not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money away on deposit. In the ESV, it says, you should have invested the money with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the gold, the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more 
and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. (sighs) That's a story, isn't it? A lot of times we picture this almost like a ceremony where he's handing out the bags of gold at the beginning. And, and maybe it was, but it also sometimes gets seen as something that happens sequentially. First he gives it to one person, sometime later another person, then another. So imagine with me that you're the third person and that you receive this bag of gold. Oh, how wonderful. You just got a bag of gold, a bag filled with gold. You have been trusted with this bag of gold. You're excited. You are so enthused. You feel so seen. You feel so valuable. It is absolutely extraordinary. And then you run into someone else and you see that they have two bags and that their friend has five bags. Suddenly, you start feeling a little bit deflated. Hell, it's so true to our situations, isn't it? We, we get all excited about something and then we start playing the comparison game and then we start to feel discouraged with what we have. <laughs> I'll, I'll admit and I'll even share about it. I, I have this. I get this at times. I have a friend. Uh, some of you know him. He's even played music here in this church, Curtis Hartshorn. And when I look at Curtis, I look at someone who's just kind of got this ministry stuff figured out. He shares the gospel, and he's far more effective than I am. He is a very powerful prayer. He has a very vibrant relationship. He speaks with all these things. And I look at Curtis, and I'm just like, oh, man, he's got... He's got so much more gold than I do. He's got so much more than I do. And I I just, I can't live into that. And you start playing this comparison game, and then you just start feeling discouraged. I remember years ago, (laughs) at the beginning of my preaching journey, I said to a friend of mine, oh man, such and such a preacher just makes me want to quit. Like I could never preach like them. And they wisely replied to me, you realize they didn't start there. But I didn't. When we see someone, we just think that's where they are and that's where they've been their whole life. What Curtis has done is that he went and put to work the talents that God had given him. He didn't just come out this way. He didn't just become a Christian and all of a sudden he had this fruitful ministry. He had to put it to work. He said he began sharing the gospel when he heard a nine-year-old girl sharing the gospel and thought, well, shoot, if she's doing it, I better be able to do it. And so he began to share the gospel and he made uh, a pack. He made a decision that he was going to share the gospel every single day. Every single day he shared the gospel. So if you share the gospel, if you share the good news of Jesus with someone every single day, you're going to get a whole lot better at it. My point is that we can compare our beginnings to someone else's middle. And that's really just not a fair thing because they have been working and they have been investing into what God has given them continually over and over. 
And here's what I want to tell you. God gave you a lot. <laughs> he really did. This term talent, it, it's a very fortunate translation for preachers. Preachers love that talent, the unit of measurement, sounds an awful lot for good reason, like the word talent that we used to describe if someone is talented, if they're gifted in certain things, which is really good, but it also sort of misses the mark in another category because talent was to denote the treasure. And if we just focus on that God gave you a talent, and this is to be used for the kingdom of God, this is going to be, to be used for his good, that's a really important thing, but it's, it's not totally hitting the mark either because God has placed within you a treasure, and that being the kingdom of God, and that is the treasure, and that is the reward in and of itself. There has to be no work. There's no work required to earn in that. It is by grace. And so it is to understand that there is a treasure that has been placed within us but then also, in addition to that, we have talent that we can exercise. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. But I think it's also important to understand the treasure. Now, this talent, this unit of measurement, was it worth being discouraged over? <laughs> someone else had two, someone else had five. But what did the third servant actually receive? Has anyone ever done the math on this? Has anyone ever looked into the study notes and found out what it actually is? It's 6,000 denarii. A denarii is a day's wage. So let's do some, some quick math. If, let's say, you work six days a week, 50 weeks a year, that's 20 years' wages. Okay, you guys don't look as shocked as I thought you would. That's a lot. If you, if you do the calculations, that's like a minimum. That's at least, everyone say at least. A million dollars. All right, there we go. We're starting to get some feedback on this. He gave you a lot. Like we think a bag of gold, maybe we think it's like this little such. It's over a million dollars. The treasure that he's given you is significant. He gave you a lot. What's important to remember is, it's, to me, it doesn't matter if, let's, if you are a one bag, two bag, or five bag type of person, like whatever your talent level is. Personally, I don't see myself as being overly talented, but I don't care because my goal, what God is requiring of me is to invest what he has given to me and to get the maximum yield of returns on that. That's what matters and that's what matters with us. It doesn't matter how talented or not talented you are. It matters what you do with it. Maybe the third servant felt discouraged because he started playing the comparison game. That's, that's very possible. But what else could it be? So if you have your Bibles open in front, in front of you still, look at verse 14. Take a look at the instructions that the master gave him. Do you see him there in 14? Okay, I'm seeing some confused faces. 
Well, we'll read it. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Okay, I don't see any instructions there. Okay, no. Okay, maybe I'm missing something out. So let's read 50 and 2. Let's just make sure. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went out. Then he went on his journey. So there weren't actually any instructions. He didn't give, not that we can see anyway, he didn't give them any instructions as to what they are to do in his absence. He didn't tell them how long he was going to be gone. We see in verse 19 that he was gone for a very long time, but he doesn't really give them any instructions. And, but still, you see the person with five bags and the person with two bags, they both go out and they begin investing right away. Now, we're fortunate because when the master Jesus Christ left, he did give us some very specific instructions, and that is the Great Commission to go and make disciples. And so we know what our mission is. But let's put ourselves in this guy's shoes just for a minute. Imagine your master gave you a million dollars, and it was your job to put it to work. It was your job to get a yield on this investment. What are you going to do? You have to invest in yourself and you have to try to make it better. Are you going to try to flip houses? That can be scary because what if you don't have the skills necessary? Uh, Supplies cost a whole lot more. Interest rates are higher. What if the market tanks? Then all of a sudden you're at a loss now. It's like you're a little bit afraid. So what are you going to do with that? What if you tried to start a cafe? Peterborough already has a lot of cafes, so that might not be a great investment. What are you going to do to invest? What business venture are you going to start in, in the natural to, to make money? Like, what happens if you fa- fail? I think fear is what gripped this man, and it prevented him from hitting the target. He was too afraid to miss the target to actually be able to hit it. What is very surprising to me, if you look at the text in verse 27, is that Jesus actually allows a concession. Now, I added another translation to try to accentuate the point. So maybe you picked up on it, but I don't know if you ever picked up on this. Jesus actually allows a concession in this. We're going to be talking about it a little bit more, but what he says in verse 27 is, well, then you should have put my money on deposit or invested it with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Similar to today, people could give money to the banks, the banks would lend them out, the banks would get interest back, and they would give you some of that interest. But he was afraid to do that, even at a very minimum. So I'm sharing with you the story, the parable of the talents. Why am I sharing it to you? What do I believe that God wants you to understand about the vision of Auburn Bible Chapel in relation to this? First one is, is that he gave you a lot. He has put a lot inside of you. 
He has given you what you need to do the work that he's called you to do. The second one is that it takes intentionality and it takes a decision to be involved. And it even takes hard work within that. But it really comes back to this. Do you want to, to mix metaphors, when the master comes, do you want to tell him, Lord, I was too afraid to miss the mark, so I didn't, I didn't try to hit any bullseyes. I didn't try to hit the mark because I was too afraid to make those mistakes. Do I miss the mark, Al Westerman? <laughs> I, I miss the mark all the time. I'll say the wrong thing, or I'll forget to say something. I'll miss someone's birthday. I'll miss a connection. I say and do the wrong thing all the time, but each one is a learning opportunity for me. Each one is a learning opportunity for you. But there's an attitude. The attitude is I'm trying and I'm trying to make progress. What I want you to take from all of this is that I hope that when you hear the parable of the talents is that there is an inner, I can do this. He's given me a lot. He's given me a lot of resources and I can go out and I can do it. We're going to be talking about the how a little bit later. Once you have made this decision that you want to participate in this, that you want to invest the treasure that God has placed inside of you, then you're invited to join the team. If the first step was deciding that you want to play basketball, the second step would be joining a basketball team, and the third step would be learning how to play basketball. I honestly think that's a better way to do it because you have the community, you have the encouragement around you. So to do that, we're going to look to figure out what it looks like to be a part of the team. We're going to go into 1 Corinthians 12, which in the Pew Bibles is on page 931. And if you're not, we go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. And then we're in 1 Corinthians 12. I think this is music to the Lord's ears. Hearing Bibles turning pages. It's music to his ears. It's beautiful. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. But if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts 
in the body, every one of them, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If the whole, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. I hope sometime to really expand on this and do an entire sermon just on this section of scripture. But here's what I want you to understand. It's that God has made each of you unique. He's made each of you different. We all have different skills. We all have different perspectives. We're all unique and we contribute uniquely. You, you can connect with people that I could not connect with. You could connect with them in a way that I couldn't connect with them. I had it two weeks ago. I met a young Chinese trend student on outreach and I started telling him about Jesus and he was very interested in what Jesus was all about, but I was so limited because of the language barrier. He spoke some English, but not a whole lot. And so I connected him with Zachary, and Zachary has been able to connect with him as well, because Zachary understands what it is to come from China and to move over here to Peterborough, and he knows what it is to be a Christian. He's able to explain all of this so much better than I am to, to this, young, this young student. This is the case with the body of Christ, is that each of us has gifts, skills, abilities, perspectives, ever. fill in the blank. And we come together, and when we work together, that is when we're at our best. What I think is really special is that in the body, nothing is wasted. God has arranged the body in such a way that everything works together. Everything works in synergy when it's working properly, when the body is healthy. Nothing is wasted. For a while they thought that the appendix was an appendage, that it wasn't actually necessary. We've recently found that it's very beneficial for your gut health, which your gut health is the foundation of health. So even what we once thought was an appendage turns out to be extremely important. And that is true with the body of Christ as well. No one is here by accident. No one, is, there is no waste, there is no mistake in the kingdom of God, in the body of believers. There is no waste. I'd like to illustrate it this way. Barb, can you see my feet on the, on the Zoom there? Oh, well, this is the best I could do. All right, so if I'm representing the body of Christ, then let's say my calves are the preaching team at Auburn Bible Chapel. And for whatever reason, the goal of the body of Christ is to jump. So just using the calves, I'll walk out my knees here and try to keep my body stiff. Let's see how high I can jump. Try again. I don't know if I got off the ground there. <laughs> okay, I think I got off the ground a little bit. So, job done. We did it. We did it, guys. We got off the ground. This is good. 
Okay, I'm seeing some skeptical faces. I think, I think maybe we can do better. I think maybe we can go beyond just, just preaching, hey? So let, let's get the, we'll get the elders and deacons and we'll get the women's ministry and we'll get, we'll get all that going and we'll, we'll incorporate that. That'll, that'll be the quads. So I'll use my calves and quads now. I'll try to lock out the rest of my body. A little bit there and then boop. Okay, that was better. You could definitely see. You didn't need to like freeze frame it to see if I got off the ground. So better, right? We agree that's better? Okay, good. But what happens if we get the whole body? What happens if we get the whole body working together? And if we are the body, then the arms should be moving. We should be reaching out. We should be sharing love with people. The heart should be beating. We should be caring for people and showing people God's love. We should have our mouth moving. We should be proclaiming God's love to people. So when we do all that, let's see what we can do now. So that was better. We got, we got better. We're doing better because we're seeing the whole body working together toward one purpose. And that's the way that God has designed it to be. Now, that's as high as I can jump now. That's as high as I can jump when I have all my whole body working together. Does that mean that that's the highest that I'll ever be able to jump? Does that mean that's the most that we, I can ever achieve or that we, the body, could ever achieve? No, I can continue to, we can continue to strengthen ourselves. We can continue to invest what God has given us and hopefully in six months, we'll see more. And hopefully six months after that, we'll see more. I think we're going to continually see more as we invest what God has given us as the body of believers. Amen? Last thing on the body of Christ. (laughs) And I'd love to say this. If we are the body of Christ, you don't get to be close. You don't get to just come along for the ride. If you're here and we want you to be here, we want you to be a contributing member. We're clothed in Christ's righteousness, in nothing less than Christ's righteousness. You don't get to just come along for the ride. We want you to be contributing. We want you to be acting as a part of it. And you get to join in with what God is doing. So we've decided that we want to play basketball. We join the team. Now let's learn how to play. Let's look at Auburn Bible Chapel's ministry roadmap. Now we have this on paper. So if I'm going through any of this too fast, we have Auburn's ministry roadmap on paper. You can ask and we can get you a copy of it. Our ministry roadmap is to cultivate a loving and welcoming community for all who come into our midst. Oh, serious? I'm already at time, aren't I? Oh, boy. Um, That's a problem. I'm going to have to. (laughs) I can't just stop now. Um, Second, to equip individual Christians to share their faith relationally. Third, to corporately partner with community outreach ministries. And fourth, to provide opportunities for people to explore the basics of Christianity. So that first one, to cultivate a welcoming community for all who come into our midst. I talked about this last week with the parable of the sower. This is being farmhands. 
for the new seeds, if we can use that term, seeds that get planted, for the new lives that begin to explore Christianity, to want to grow in their identity in Christ, our job as farmhands, as a congregation, is to come around people, it is to encourage them, it is to see the best in them, it is to be warm and loving toward them, it's to invite them over for lunch, it's to... go outside of demographic. It's to go outside of our age demographic, our cultural demographic, financial demographic, and to bridge a relational gap and to lovingly welcome people into our community. Second one is to equip individual Christians to share their faith relationally. I love that it says share their faith relationally opposed to relationally sharing the faith. And why I think that's important is because of the, the farmer. We talked about the farmer last week. The farmer doesn't keep plowing the field over and over, trying to get the relational things just right, but never actually planting seeds. Once they've plowed, they plant the seeds. And so it's, relational, it's sharing your faith relationally, because you have to actually share your faith in the relationships. And the thing with this is that I could give you tips and tools and tricks and to share your faith. I myself have learned many as I've been committed to this, but the thing is, I've learned so much more about how to share my faith about how much, I've learned so much more about outreach by actually doing it than I have through any book, sermon, podcast, etc. It's in the actual doing of it. And when you decide to do it, it doesn't really even matter so much what they want to call it. People have, there are names for spiritual gifts, there's name for all these things, but the core of it all is a decision to want to encourage people, to want to increase someone else's faith. If you notice that someone is looking sad, you can encourage them. If they're looking confused, you can bring clarity. It doesn't really matter what it's called. It doesn't really matter what it looks like. It's a decision to increase the faith of another person. And if you're trying to increase the faith of another person, it doesn't actually matter if that person is a Christian or not. Our goal is always in our interactions to increase the faith of the other person. Corporately partner with community ministries, the third part of our roadmap. Now, I said I'd come back to this as I did when we were talking about the parable of the talents. So if you remember, Matthew 25, 27 said, Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. When Jesus said this, he was basically saying that the least that someone could do was to invest into someone else. This was the concession that Jesus allowed. He said that, yeah, that's what he said. And so if there is someone else, an organization that you believe in, we encourage you to support them. Whether that's here at Auburn Bible Chapel, we partner with ministry organizations in the neighborhood as well, like Hope Valley, Youth for Christ, Peterborough Pregnancy Support, 
Wycliffe Bible translators and some other missionaries. What I want you to hear in this too is that God has given you a lot. And even if you feel like financially you can't give that much, what I want to encourage you is that $5, that $10, that $20 that you might not think would make a difference does. Furthermore, God has given you other talents and abilities, and maybe that's marketing, maybe that's graphic design, maybe that's gardening, maybe that's picking up garbage. Whatever it looks like, I promise you, because I'm friends with some of them, that whatever ministry organization there is, they could use your help, that you have a skill that could contribute to that. And so that is one of the ways that we can corporately partner with community outreach ministries. My last point is to provide opportunities for people to explore the basics of Christianity. To me, that looks like small groups or care groups or grow groups or whatever it is that you want to call them. In my opinion, this also catches cultivating a loving and welcoming community for all who come to our midst because they can be connected into a community of a small group. And it also looks like equipping individuals to share their faith relationally. Small group, it works perfectly. I think the way that the early church did this was really wise. In Acts 2.42, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Breaking of bread can seem odd that it's in there, doesn't it? It can seem kind of weird because you have teaching and prayer and community, and it's like, how does the breaking of bread fit into this? But it doesn't. It's actually really profound. I, I believe it is anyway. This was essentially the Lord's Supper. They called it a love feast, and to the best of my knowledge, it was a potluck. <laughs> there is something special that happens when we eat a meal together. When we share a meal together, it's special. The early church knew this. Now you know this. Now, is it necessary? Is it necessary for a small group to have a meal together? No, but I believe it's ideal. Fellowship. Fellowship is what we've been talking about, right? It's connections and it's going outside of your demographic to do it. God designed us for community and the world around us is hungry for community. Prayer. Prayer is the lifeblood. It is the breath. As prayer is necessary, as breath is necessary for the body to live, prayer is necessary for any ministry to exist. And the apostles' teaching. And we can expand this to the whole of Scripture and then the teachings of Scripture as well. So for our modern context, this could be like an established Bible study. And what this could look like is a model that I've been proposing is the three-thirds model. Now, I'll go through this briefly, but there is a lot of information here, and there will be a handout next week if you want more information on what the three-thirds Bible study method looks like. So there are three-thirds. The first thing that I would recommend we do is we come together for a meal. Amen? Amen. And then we look back. So that's the first third. Look back. You look back at the past week or two. You look back at God's faithfulness, stories of God's faithfulness, and you also look back at our own obedience. How are we obedient to what God called us to in the past week? 
So look back, look up. This is the Bible study section where you're either looking at a Bible study that's been written by someone or you go into the Bible yourself and you look at a section of scripture. Then you ask, what does this say about God? What does this say about me or the world around me? And is there a command to obey or a model to follow? So that's the second third. The second third is to look up. The third third is to look ahead. And this is where you cast, you dream, you look forward and you decide to say, based off today's scripture, what is God asking me to do? Or what is he asking me to stop doing? Or what is he asking me to believe differently? That works really well, whether you're doing an established Bible study or a scriptural Bible study. I think it's very important for us to have the three-third model where we remember to look back at how God has been faithful and we've been obedient. We look up to hear what God has to say and we plan a path forward. I I want to encourage you um, to do this because people are starving for community. There are people who won't necessarily come to church at this point but they'll come to your house. They'll come to your house for a dinner. Don't, don't bait and switch them. Don't pretend that you're, they're just coming for dinner and then, oh, surprise, we're doing a Bible study. Let them know what it's about. But I think people, you'll find that people are genuinely interested in what you have to say. This is a very powerful relational tool to connect with people on an ongoing basis, to share our faith relationally, to cultivate community. This is a powerful way that we can have the whole team going at it. Again, I know I threw a lot out at you today, but I hope that you leave feeling encouraged. I hope you leave feeling like I can make a difference. I hope you leave knowing that God has placed a treasure inside of you and that that matters. God has crafted you special and unique and there are people that only you can connect with. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have hidden this treasure in jars of clay. That even though at times we may feel frail, that God, there is a light inside of us that, that shines through the cracks of this broken jar of clay that we might feel like we are. Thank you for the precious gift that you've given us. God, I pray that you speak to our hearts, that you speak a, yeah, I can, (laughs) into people's hearts. Thank you, Lord, that it doesn't depend on us, but it is you working in us and through us. God, to you be the power and the glory for now, forever. Amen.